Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, guys. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash musicals with cheese also a huge special thanks to our patrons at patreon our current patreon patrons are john donna stephanie l terry needleman and max lunick they give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at musicals with cheese if you would like to join them in supporting us and get tons of fun perks such as a patron only commentary our episodes a day early and a bunch more stuff go to patreon we just did a commentary on cats so only the patrons are available to get that Apparently it's pretty good too. Yeah, I've heard we've heard good things. Andrew, do you want to talk about our affiliate link really quick? I do want to say that Jess has a beautiful shilling voice and he does a great job. But we do also have an Amazon affiliate link. If you're going to buy anything on Amazon, just click the link in the description. Literally it doesn't cost you any extra, we just get money from it. So if you want to support us, that's a great way to do so. Yep, give us money by buying more stuff. Alright, let's get on to the real show. <laughs> I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. And today we have an extra special returning guest. Oh, this one gets the extra special. Last time we had a returning guest, it was just returning guest. <laughs> yes, um, this he's extra special. Um, you know him from some jerk with a camera and several other wonderful things. Tony Goldmark. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me yet again. What's been up since the last time we chatted with you? Uh, when was the last time we chatted? It was a it, was it last year? It was yeah, I think it was like ago, at the tail end of last year. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. I remember yeah, we basic- talked about those two goofballs, and I, that's all I really remember. <laughs> yeah, J- what Smythe and Jones? Those guys? Oh my <laughs> goodness! From the from the Royal <laughs> Theater show. Yeah, yeah those those wacky, zany, nutty funsters. Ever since then, <laughs> I've been, you know, making more videos, uh, mostly one movie later vlogs. I just released one for Avengers Endgame, finally, um, joining that conversation a few weeks late. But still, you know, doing what I can. And I've also recently done uh, videos about the Dumbo remake and uh, Wonder Park, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So Based on Action Park, right? Uh, uh, sure. Let's let's pretend it is because loosely because at because at the end of it, by the time you're finished watching Wonder Park, you will want to do harmful Johnny Knoxville stunts to yourself. So, sure, it counts. You'll want to go on the upside down water slide. There you go. <laughs> so, guys, what are we talking about today? If I'm not mistaken, we are talking about Finding Nemo the musical. In the big- we say about this guys what fine it's finding nemo and it's a musical what more can you say about it there's Um, not much more to say about it so i feel like we just end the episode here (laughs) (laughs) 
the musical itself doesn't say all that much about it, really. Like, like it's it's most of the songs are literally just dialogue from the movie set to music. Like you, like I think I said this last time. We briefly mentioned the Nemo musical, but. Uh, you, you, they may as well have just gotten the Gregory Brothers to make auto-tunes versions of, of just the dialogue from the movie. It, it, it's like there's that little creativity in, in it, which is weird because it's the Lopez's. It's Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who also did Frozen. And I know Robert Lopez also did Avenue Q and Book of Mormon. So, you know, talented people, but this is not their best work. I feel like it was kind of thrown at them, like kind of as a test run. Like Kristen Anderson Lopez even said that she was given the job specifically because they, the Disney head saw a 15 minute acapella version of Oedipus that she made and said, oh, it looks like you can condense a lot of material into a short period of time. Well, how about we do <laughs> this? Boy, do they, boy, do they condense like like they do. Nemo. Finding Nemo is 104 minutes long. The the show is a third of that. It's it's only 35 minutes long. So and the way they do it, I, I mean, we, we might be skipping ahead here, but the way they do it is they basically cram the second half of the movie into the last five minutes, and it's really jarring. It's <laughs> yeah. When I was watching it, I messaged Jess and said, "It's like you're. It's like." putting Finding Nemo into your DVD player and just hitting fast forward two times <laughs> yeah, and then really watching is. that. <laughs> and you listen to like the Book of Mormon while that's on. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. But it opened in November of 2006. Um, technically, that was their soft opening. It opened officially in January 2007. Um, a studio recording was made. Like they had a lot of Broadway like officials coming in and like doing the set design and all that. And I actually got to see it before it officially opened during those couple months of soft openings because I happened to be in Disney World in early January of 2007 and. Uh, so so that was fun, I suppose, but then I actually saw the damn thing and it was like, oh, well, okay, that was a thing. It's not, <laughs> it's not the most imp- it's not even the most impressive live show at a Disney park. I mean, I mean it's like if you've got an extra hour to kill, which you probably will cuz there's not all that much to do at Animal Kingdom, you know, sure it's a nice time waster, but it's not it's not appointment viewing, you know. You could spend that hour waiting in line for Expedition Everest, so, I mean... Or or Flight of Passage at the Pandora, you know, part of the park that they have now. Or Dinosaur. It, but it's like, if you would you rather wait in line for Dinosaur a third time, or would you rather sit down in air conditioning and enjoy... Fi- and, and endure Finding Nemo? <laughs> yeah, endure Finding Nemo. Because it's not... Well, it's not a terrible show either. Like it's passable. It's 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 just kind of right over the plate. It's fine, but it's just kind of in one ear and out the other. Like you'll forget it five minutes later. My question is, why is it in Dino Land USA section of the Animal Kingdom? <laughs> you know, best as I can tell, it's actually like. Because the location, it's not, if you've actually been there, it's not really in Dinoland USA. It's just kind of along the path between Dinoland USA and the Asia section of the park. Now, my theory is they knew that that Asia section of the park would be there, 
but just due to budget cutbacks and, and, you know, delays and things, they actually didn't open the Asia section of the park until about a year after the, the, the park itself opened. The park itself opened in April of 98, and the Asia section opened in March of 99. During that first year, that theater showed a show called Journey, uh, Journey into the Jungle Book. Uh, which was basically like, like the typical Disney show of, hey, let's recreate the Jungle Book on stage and do all the songs from it. And and we'll also add some Cirque du Soleil acrobat shenanigans because reasons. And I think they thought, well, we should put that near the Asian section of the park because Jungle Cruise take, or, excuse me, Jungle Book. I, I'm sorry. I just did a podcast about Weird Al's song Skipper Dan. So I've had Jungle Cruise on the mind. So it's a good song. But, um, yeah, that, uh, it, it is a good song. The, the Weird Al, the Weird Alphabet podcast, uh, PipeDreamPodcast.com. But anyway, I'm on this podcast now, so <laughs> we're talking about this. But, uh, but but I think they figured, well, Jungle Book takes place in India, so it should be near the Asia section. That's where we should build this theater. But then literally, like a month after they actually opened the Asia section of Animal Kingdom, which included, you know, all this stuff that looked like India and the Kali River Rapids and the Maharaja Jungle Trek, stuff like that. Um, they closed Journey into the Jungle Book to replace it with Tarzan Rocks because <laughs> Tarzan, Tarzan was the, which was basically the same show, but with Tarzan instead of the jungle, Disney's Tarzan specifically, because that came out that summer, summer of 99. But of Did course, they Tarzan. Did Collins or like was well, Phil they, Collins? They, they, they got the Phil Collins music because they own the rights to it. They didn't I just imagine get... Phil Collins being there, like doing these shows every single day he could, like, he and giving probably... it its all. I mean, he, he could probably use the work. I'm not at this, especially now. But the uh, but but uh, but then of course Tarzan takes place in Africa, and the Africa section's on the whole other side of the park, so it didn't make any sense anymore. So I guess they just figured, ah, eh, we'll just say it's part of Dino Land. Who cares? It's Animal Kingdom. No one cares about this park. So I, uh, I think it's actually in the area, like walking to Dino Land. That's the official park part of it. Well, like, uh, pretty much, or or if you're coming from Dino Land, it's on the way to Asia with Expedition Everest and all that. The theater, by the way, it's a 1,500-seat theater called uh, Theater in the Wild has been the name of it, and um, Tarzan Rocks ran there for about seven years, and then, like you said, in 2006, they replaced it with Finding Nemo the Musical, which is what we're talking about today. Yay. Now what yeah. makes this a musical and makes Aladdin a live spectacular? You know, <laughs> I think, well, the distinction is that the movie Finding Nemo was not a musical. The movie That's... Aladdin was a, was a musical. So saying Aladdin the musical, you're just, well, the movie was a musical too. So what what's the distinction there? This is this is to make sure you're not confused enough to think you're going in to see Finding Nemo the movie. You see, you're at Disney World, so you're seeing the musical version, which is a live show, and that's the. Oh, I got a text. Oh snap! That's nothing. Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> so what did we all think so of the original it. Finding Nemo? <laughs> what what movie? else? Do you <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Try that again. I'm just. a little. So what did we all think of the original Finding Nemo movie? What are our general thoughts on that? I I love it a lot. It's it, it's definitely up there in the in the echelon of of Pixar movies, I suppose. 
I remember when it first came out, I was a little unimpressed by it. I thought, I thought, well, that was good, but not great. I think I was a little too used to the whole, you know, previous. I mean, it was it was the first. It broke a lot of previous norms of of what constituted a Pixar movie at that point. Like, for example, it was the first Pixar movie not to use a Randy Newman score, for one thing. They used his cousin Thomas Newman instead. And it was it was the first Pixar film directed by Andrew Stanton, and he certainly has his own distinct, you know, directorial style about him. Um, I, 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 I def- it definitely grew on me. I grew to love it. It was never my favorite Pixar movie, though, if only because there was always so much great competition, I suppose. What about you, Andrew? But but it's a really good movie. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as, like, Pixar tier lists, you have, like, at the top, you have, like, Incredibles, Ratatouille, uh, and then below that, you have your Finding Nemo's, I think, you know? Yeah. Finding Nemo's yeah, pretty like, good. Like- yeah, it, like, like, it, like it's not it's not up there with like the Brad Bird Pixar movies, but it's not down with fucking Good Dinosaur and the Cars movies either. It's 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 yeah. pretty solidly in the middle. Yeah, like you got or, or, or the, and the Toy middle, Story movies, and then below that yeah. you have Cars and Planes, and then below yeah. that you have like Good Dinosaur, which I haven't seen. I just assume it's the worst one though. It is so <laughs> bad. It is so so bad. Sam Elliott's a dinosaur. The problem, the problem with Good Dinosaur is it's just boring. It's so boring. It's so excruciatingly boring to sit through. There's nothing, there's nothing to recommend about it. It's just kind of a dumb movie where nothing happens and you don't like the characters. What they could do I'm with vi- Good Dinosaur is they can add in songs and then put it in this theater in Dinoland <laughs> yeah, USA. Yeah, no, and it would be with di- if anyone gave a shit about the good dinosaur, sure, that would be an amazing plan. But, but no one gives a shit about reality. good dinosaur, no. so that's not going to happen. Well, you, you you gotta just go back in time and use Bob Peterson's original script for the good dinosaur before Pixar apparently decided this is too good, let's just make it a bland piece of shit instead, but... Uh, Lasseter anyway. was drunk that day. He was drunk. Yeah. That day. It, oh, th- just that day? Just that day? No, I, like I, I saw him speak two years ago at D twenty three. He was visibly wasted on stage, like slurring <laughs> his words, just practically incoherent. Like this guy, we got, we got Brad. We're, we're making Paradise Pier and a Pixar Pier. It's gonna be great. It's like, oh my god, John Lasseter is not doing well. And of course, knowing what we know now, yeesh, yeesh with a capital yeesh. Anyway, I grant you um, one yike. Yike. <laughs> Multiple yikes. <laughs> if you can have yikes. a ride about dinosaur, I mean, you can have a show about the good dinosaur. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Although, although, the, although the ride about dinosaur has so little to do with the movie Dinosaur. Like, they literally slapped it on two years later. Th- this is true. Th- that ride originally opened in 98 with the rest of the park two years before the movie Dinosaur even came out under the title Countdown to Extinction. And it was just... It, it, you know, and it was the same exact plot of the, uh, as that the ride has now, but it was just instead of going back to save this particular iguanodon, you were just going back to save a dinosaur of some sort. And then in 2000, they were like, well, we got this dinosaur movie coming out. Uh, let's tie the ride into that. And they 
renamed it Dinosaur and slapped in. They, they barely connected it to the movie. So now there's <laughs> so. So now it's like the, the universe of that movie, which, by the way, was just like dinosaurs migrating from one place to another. Like, that's literally the whole plot of that stupid movie. And now they're they've established no time travel exists in that universe too. The the, the humans who will eventually conquer the Earth invent. T- I just and oh and by the way, Aladar, the, the the dinosaur you're supposed to love in the movie Dinosaur. Yeah, he, uh, apparently the the meteor shower that destroys all life on the planet and causes the dinosaurs to be extinct. He eventually lives through that. So he's going to see the end of days, this beloved dinosaur you love so much. And also Mrs. Huxtable is there, so. I mean, I think the ride's better than the movie, <laughs> to be fair, so. It is, but there's not much competition. That, that, that doesn't say much, that, that the ride is better than the movie, because that movie sucks. All right, guys. Speaking of dinosaur, the... <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> let's let's the, talk about Finding Nemo, about Nemo the Musical. <laughs> Um, Kristen Anderson Lopez was Dinosaur the musical That's what we should do No, no We're dinosaurs A bunch of dinosaurs Anyway, sorry We're good to go It's all set We're all set We're time traveling back To before this happened (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless One of the the ideas that Kristen Anderson Lopez and her husband, they their favorite me- movie was Finding Nemo, basically. And they love mm. the idea of people to see a f- musical at four, five, or six and saying, I want to do that. So the idea that they had was to condense it to 30 minutes. They focused on a single theme from the film, which had a bunch of themes. And that theme was, the world was dark and beautiful. So both dangerous and scary. And I feel like that was the one idea that they thought to focus in on to make this a... Uh, cohesive whole despite it being only like 40 minutes i suppose but i i I mean if you're gonna it's definitely better to have a reason to cut things if you're gonna cut things willy-nilly like that rather than just cut scenes randomly it's important to focus on a theme i'm just not sure the musical in question really accomplish that goal because i would be very curious to go see this musical with someone who's never seen finding nemo and see if it makes the slightest lick of sense to them because honestly i'm not sure it would to me if i hadn't seen the movie i'm trying to think just... of what plot centric things are missing though like i i watched it once and then listened to the new york studio recording so i'm trying it didn't feel incoherent well, the, the whale scene is completely gone, for one thing, towards the end. This is what I mean when I say they cut, like, the second half of the movie down to five minutes. It's like the, the scene where they're trapped in the whale, that's not there anymore. The whole chase scene with the seagulls is not there. Um, and just and, and, and throughout the whole thing, everything just happens so rapidly and, and fast. Like, well, like, there's one scene where it, like, cuts back to, you know, Nemo and Gil in the dentist's aquarium... And Nemo's like, oh, I'm sorry I ruined the filter plan, Gil. So they just, they couldn't afford to, or they didn't have, they didn't have the time or the money to recreate the filter scene. So they just have Nemo say in dialogue, I'm sorry I ruined your plan. Well, why have the plan anyway in in the first place? Like, I mean, that's the one thing I was thinking, like, if you've never seen Finding Nemo, that line especially is going to be like, what are you talking about? Exactly. (laughs) Would um, you have preferred them just play a clip from the movie where he fucks it all up? <laughs> you know, th- you know, it's funny you say that because I was I was thinking while watching this, it's like you know, if you're gonna 
if you're going to do a musical around, you know, talking undersea fish and other undersea creatures, you've got the Little Mermaid. Disney's, you know, they already made a musical that takes place literally under the sea. But then I realized, well, Disney MGM Studios or excuse me, Disney Hollywood Studios has had a show, has had a live Little Mermaid show called Voyage of the Little Mermaid ever since 1992. But the thing is that 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 show actually I mean, pretty lazily, I'll be honest, but it, it, it actually does use clips from the movie to kind of fill in the gaps where they couldn't think of a way to dramatize these things live on stage. But, um, but yeah, so that's, there's that. Hmm. I don't know uh, how to fill in dead air on this show, I noticed. This was, this was a problem when I was here last time. Like, I kept, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it, don't it's worry, weird. we just have Jess edit it out. <laughs> oh good. Oh yeah, don't don't worry about these are highly edited things. So, um, I'm sure you they gu- are. you guys think that the 40 minute t- encapsulation of this is a huge detriment to the overall story and character arc. Do you think there was anything that was effective about turning it musicalized? I mean, I I don't know about a huge detriment. I just think that it makes it feel like they're trying to cram too much in too quickly. Um, I mean, when you uh, when you consider the function of it being a theme park show, you wouldn't have wanted it to be the whole movie because, you know, you, you've got a day at a theme park. You want to fill that day with as many rides and attractions as possible. And, you you know, I as a guest don't want a theme park show to be longer than, say, 40 minutes. You know, that that's the problem with the Frozen show at DCA is they don't. just as a park guest like that takes up like two hours of my day just because it's like an hour to actually watch the show but then an hour beforehand to get in line and make sure you're in the right section and all that um but i'm sorry what was the question (laughs) (laughs) do you think there was anything good about specifically about musicalizing it no, I honestly think making it a musical kind of lessens it. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think the songs in this are very good. I don't think they, uh, I, I, none of them are, almost none of them are particularly catchy. The one song in this musical that I actually kind of like is Go With The Flow, and that's just because it's a Beach Boys pastiche. It's specifically like Good Vibrations era Beach Boys, which is certainly an obvious choice for, you know, the song you give to crush the sea turtle who talks like a surfer but it's still a fun choice and they clearly have a lot of fun with it i love the opening bit of it where you hear the word dude with the you know elaborate beach boys harmonies that's that that, that's a really good touch uh like like um um go with the flow is the one song that i've ever really like had in my ipod rotation and stuff a song i would actually listen to divorced from the context of this musical all the rest of them i just okay the, the the problem the problem with this is that the walt disney aesthetic for musicals ever since he you know decided in the 30s that he wanted to start making full-length animated musicals has always been you got to use the songs to further the plot don't just have the characters randomly break into song like it's a busby berkeley musical or something you know where where songs just happen he wanted the songs to further the plot or or the character or the environment or any combination of those three uh and the point is every song should serve a purpose 
purpose of some sort. But at the same time, these are musical numbers and they need to also function as big, fun musical numbers. You know, they need to have a certain spectacle to them. They need to, you know, they, they, they need to be kind of the, the you know, the, the big show stopping numbers are, you know, the musicals equivalent of a big action scene in, in action movies. You just, you can't really have a musical without them. And there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance between function and spectacle. When you adapt a movie to a musical, and I'm thinking like, say, Hairspray or The Producers or something like that, the songwriter's job is to take basic elements of the pre-existing storyline and then spin them off into Flights of Fancy. Into you know, So you still get that story beat in there, but also the song functions as a big, fun thing on its own. Finding Nemo the Musical doesn't really do that. It just takes chunks of dialogue from the movie and rewrites that dialogue until it rhymes and sets it to music until it's technically a song. And that so so you've lost the spectacle element of it for me. You know, you've you've lost the what's fun about a musical being a musical is there's not a lot of there, it's very limited as far as you know lyrical dexterity. There's not a lot of fun you can have with it because it's still got a, you know, it it it, it and, and also because the story is so condensed, so the song actually has to, the song actually has to kind of have a beginning, middle, and end. It can't just like capture a moment in amber, because because like you know, think about the Little Mermaid, think about Under the Sea or Part of Your World or something. Not a lot has changed from the beginning of those songs to the end of them. They're just kind of these fun moments that capture story beats in amber and have fun with them for a few minutes. But in Finding Nemo the musical, you know, each song has to tell, well, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. You know, we got to get all the way through a scene, uh, you know, via that song. So it's not allowed to have as much fun. And, And for that reason, I don't think it works as well. But you, you're therefore saying that all musical numbers there are fun and not plot-driven. Um, whereas I think the spectacle comes from the environment that it builds rather than the actual musical number, since you can't really have a tap-dancing number with, like, fucking squids and stuff. Honestly, I think... That would be sick, actually. ...pays off very well <laughs> is its thematic quality. Like, the Dory's Where's My Dad theme that keeps repeating, like, both as, like... Sorry, yeah, Nemo's Where's My Dad theme that keeps repeating throughout it, creating, like, this emotional musical backdrop for Nemo as a character, as well actually turning the keep swimming motif as seen, like, like in the film and has become a meme in and of itself into its own musical theme. I think that those thematic elements make it stronger. As well, I think it builds the world in a way that only a stage musical can with the In the Big Blue World where it both feels beautiful and scary, which is kind of what Kristen yeah, Anderson Lopez like that and Robert song. Lopez really aim for. As well, it does play with pastiche a lot, like Fish are Friends Not Food with the rock pastiche. Like It does have those fun moments, but it is also limited to a theme park stage show budget. I think the songs themselves in a vacuum are effective storytelling devices though probably not at Broadway caliber, are still effective for what it's aiming to do. I think where it really lacks is, is in the lyrics where a lot of the lyrics are just taken directly from the movie and it doesn't work that well in a lot of cases. Well that's also a shorthand to try to make it memorable like the way to make the song memorable is to try to take the most memorable part of the s- s- take the truth and make it rhyme basically as Sondheim says 
Well, the, I, I, I agree that the, you know, the spectacle in the, in the musical as it exists comes from the puppetry, comes from, you know, the big elaborate, you know, uh, the, the puppets the that they design, use, you know, the, the uh, costumes, the set design, a lot of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, the, the costumes, the set design, all that stuff is, is good. All that stuff works. I especially like the way they actually make it look like the fish are swimming in midair. That, that, that's a really talented form of, of puppetry in and of itself. Like it, it looks really effective. My problem is, and, 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 you know, and I will say about the song, uh, just keep swimming. At least that song has a good conceit to be there because Dory was singing it in the, in the film as well. You know, she's, it's, it's this annoying song that she keeps coming out. So, so expanding that song at least gives that song a good reason to exist. My problem is, you know, this is still an adaptation and it just doesn't improve on the source material. Like, to me, the story was so much more effective when these characters were just saying this dialogue, and to just build a song around it, I mean, it could work, but to me, the songs just aren't good enough for, for you know, they're not catchy enough, the lyrics aren't creative enough for the most part. It it just doesn't work for me. I feel and like the I understand. Material- Oops, sorry. No, I feel like the source material doesn't lend itself to musicals very well. It really doesn't. I, I feel like if they would wanted to make it a musical, they would have. You know, and, and but but of course, well, like I said, there there already was an undersea Disney animated musical at the time called Little Mermaid. So I'm sure they didn't want to, you, you know, invite even more comparisons. Don't step to on that. any toes. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Fins. <laughs> Shut up, Jess. I think I, <laughs> I think a lot of the the problem is that Finding Nemo the movie is just like a road trip movie, and yeah, like yeah. in a musical, I don't think you can do like a road trip musical that well, because uh, usually you just do the road trip as one song and then that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, the Muppet movie. Uh, I mean, the Muppet exactly, movie the was Muppets. a good. <laughs> Well, well, I was about to bring that up as moving, moving right along is kind of the ultimate road trip musical number. I mean, the Muppet movie still works as a as a musical, I guess, even though that was a road trip. The well, problem we've, we've is, done it on the show. <laughs> you, you know, ro- the problem is road trip movies, by definition, are really episodic. And if you don't and, and so each kind of basically each stop along the road trip has to be its own unique musical number. And I, I, I mean, I. I there's nothing inherently wrong with structuring a Finding Nemo mu- uh, musical, you know, just just as the the structure could certainly be adapted if you wanted to make it like a full length Broadway musical, I think. But yeah, you know, part of the problem is that this is going into a theme park and they've only got so much time to play with. So it's just everything's just got to be bam, bam, bam. And you've got to tell the story that the movie already told. And you've you, you know, it, it, it's serving too many masters. I feel like with what the limitations were, they did the best the best possible job. And I'm going to let Jess talk right here. Let's go, Jess. <laughs> um, it's my opinion that musical theater compresses in a way that a lot of other adaptations can't. Meaning that you can say a lot in a musical number that you could not say in action. Which is why Les Miserables is able to be the three-hour giant musical that it is. And still be the shortest and most complete version of Les Mis. Because you can compress all these ideas and complex emotions. Like... Um, you can get in one song the entire first 15 minutes of Finding Nemo all the way up to the drop-off point in one song compiled together in like a verse-chorus-verse and get it all out there. 
and uh, without it feeling that jarring. So I and think have that a really music- cool tricycle as well. And I think that the musical is. I dug the tricycle. I'll give it that much. <laughs> I agree like, with Jess. <laughs> yeah. It, um, well, the song in the big blue world. I don't particularly care for that song. I don't think it's all that interesting. It's it's basically under the sea on quaaludes. It's it, it's like it's another song about how wonderful it is to live under the ocean, but it's just so like slow and lethargic to me. It it doesn't have a lot of it doesn't have a lot of energy. I I know they're c- kind of trying to capture the vibe of the Thomas Newman score for Finding Nemo, which was also very kind of it, it, it was very moody. It was very, you know, it it wasn't like a big exciting score. It was more kind of a a, a little I don't know what the word I'm I'm looking for is. It was it it was almost relaxing in its own way and in, in the same way like, you know, you know, watching the waves pound on the beach for an hour or so is really relaxing. Uh, but but that doesn't necessarily equal to a really strong opening number, in, in my opinion. And by the way, fun fact, uh, that song in the Big Blue World is also used in the Seas with Nemo and Friends ride at Epcot, which had its grand opening on the exact same day as Finding Nemo the Musical, January 24th, 2007. And in that ride, it basically makes no sense because in, in that ride, like like you're you're riding along, you're in this you know you're in this ride vehicle shaped like a seashell, and you're going through the plot of Finding Nemo. Basically, they lose Nemo, they find him, and then suddenly all the characters burst into song, and and they do, they do this pretty cool effect in the ride where the CGI characters are projected. Uh, on top of the real uh, aquarium that they've got in that pavilion. You, you, so you see real fish behind the fake CGI fish, and it blends in pretty seamlessly, but it still makes no sense that they're singing a song. Mm-hmm. It's fun. But it's not, <laughs> I won't say it's fun, but it is an effective opening number, because in the way that it also acts as setting up the universe for those who don't know, and as well as an I Want song. We understand exactly what our two leads, because they are diverging leads, want. We understand that Marlon has this, like, uber-protective side to himself, and Nemo just wants to explore in song, without either of them saying, I want this. I want adventure but- in a vaguely big way. Well, the other problem, uh, the other problem I have is that the lyrics of this song, for the uh, the lyrics of all the songs in these in in this musical, more or less do just say what the characters want, like 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 that um, th- th- that recurring theme you mentioned of the Nemo, you know, that's my dad, but so many of those lyrics are literally just him saying how he feels, like you know, he's come to get me, and I'm so glad, you know, it's it's just not very creative. But it's also, I, I think that's effective because it's paying off when he's like, my dad would never do that and all that. Like, it's a doubt and then the shock of it. Like, if it was yeah. just, like, out of nowhere, but since it's a reaction to what was previously set up. I see what you're saying, I, I mean, I'm not dismissing it, though. I, I mean, putting the song in, because that was also open when I was there in January 2007. I, that, that had also soft opened uh, the, the Epcot ride, I mean. And if you've already, and I actually, I think I went to Epcot before I went to Animal Kingdom on that trip. And I guess if you've seen the musical already, it makes more sense for that song to be there because you've already heard it in the musical. But for me, visiting Epcot before I'd seen that musical, I was like, why are they singing? 
They didn't sing in Finding Nemo. That was what? What? Why are they? I mean, Dory uh, did sing. She sang the yeah, one. Yeah, song. She, yeah, but there wasn't like background music behind her. It was she wasn't like Nemo and Marlin didn't join in. It was and I don't know. Just it was it was just weird. <laughs> interrupt you in the middle of the show but i gotta show at you today's show is brought to you by audible audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership just go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs why audible audible content offers an unmatched selection of audiobooks original audio shows news comedy and more from the leading audiobook publishers broadcasters and entertainers i'm gonna suggest to pixar and beyond my unlikely journey with steve jobs to make entertainment history by lawrence levy narrated by bronson pinchot who knows why i'm recommending that to download your free audiobook today go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese again that's audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese for your free audiobook do you want to shill our um affiliate link i've done that already but i'll do it again okay yeah just go in our description and you can buy things on amazon and we'll get money for it we appreciate you thank you yay money all right let's get back to it Okay, I want to talk about the costumes because uh, I there were some things I really liked about the costumes and some things I really didn't like about the costumes. That's about um, that. That's the most blanket statement I've ever fucking heard. It if is I ever very blanket, but I'm going to go into detail. Or I liked it, but also I didn't like it. Very true. <laughs> um, let's go into a slight amount of detail. Things I liked about the costumes. I liked that they blended into the background, but they also didn't blend into the background. If that makes any okay. sense, they had half Let's the costume as going into background. Detail, you say. I am. They have half the costume as background, so when they have the fish puppet, it looks like they're floating. But then, like, they'll have their own like thing. Like, I think Marlin and Nemo had like a red strip on their head. So when they didn't have the fish costume, you could still see them. And I liked that. I thought it was interesting. Um. I don't like things like Dory's costume where she looks like uh, a doodle bop and it's not okay. <laughs> oh my god, she does look like a doodle bop. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, you, you, you'd, here's the thing. You'd think they'd want to dress the actors up as nondescript as possible. You'd think they'd want, you know, them to just be wearing like like solid well, gray or something, something that b blends into the background so you almost don't notice the actors are there. You can just focus on the fish, but that's not what they do. They you kind of can't, though, because sometimes they don't have the fish with them and you have to still recognize right. that the person's singing. So uh, that's what I liked about it is that they kind of did both in a way. I guess, but but Dory just kind of looked like a little Lord Fauntleroy out. Okay, well Dory was... is the is is the Doodle Bop the Doodle Bop right. man out. It's not okay. The doodle, yeah. doodle Bop that proves the rule. Exactly. Yeah. So she's kind of an exception where her costume's just bad. Everyone else is kind of like I kind of dig that. It's okay. It reminds me a lot of Julie Taymor's aesthetic with The Lion King, whereas she gives the actors room to perform because the puppets are limited because they kind of look dead in the eyes. Like, uh, that, those fishes can't smile or frown, so they have to do the legwork there, and I think a lot of the time that's pretty effective. There's kind of, like, two different shows going on. There's, like, a puppet show, and then there's the show of the puppeteers, and you can kind of watch either one. 
Well, it's Avenue Q rules. Like, there's still emotion to be yeah. had from the actors. It's just the puppets are also there. Yeah. But the actors are the puppets. <laughs> all actors are puppets. All people are puppets. We're all... This is, you, you all brought your cyanide pills. You no really puppet, no puppets. puppet. You're the puppet. You're the puppet. It's <laughs> uh, very true. Hey, um... Okay, okay, this is... Okay, this is a nitpick, but... Why is Nemo's egg green? In the opening scene, they, they do the thing where, you know, Marlin and Coral are, you know, celebrating that they've got all these kids, and then the barracuda comes and eats her up, and then he's got the one egg left, but the egg is green for some reason. That's is a very the, interesting question. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it's just so... <laughs> I guess it's just so it won't blend in with the background or something, but it, I, I don't know. Does the is that really a huge concern? Like you already what? Like you you what know he's holding the movie. I don't remember. Uh, just it's red. It, the it's because because oh, I believe right, yeah, fish eggs red. are red. Well, they wanted it to be the heart of Tahiti. Tahiti. You know. Oh my God. You know what it is. That's why the barracuda didn't eat it because the barracuda is Sam. I am. And it, will not, ah. and it will not eat it will not eat green eggs and clams it will not eat them underwater it will not eat your son or daughter it will not eat green eggs and clams it will not he, eat them Sam I am he prepared this this was prepared shut up you wrote that down Show, send pictures you have a piece of paper with that written on it I totally made that up as I went along I don't know it. I don't have to I've never written anything down in my life and I don't have to stand for such wild allegations uh well I don't believe you, made, you so you made me go into wheezing territory no, I totally fucker <laughs> okay. I totally wrote it down this is usually where we talk about the songs isn't it yeah, do you want to talk, we cover them a little bit? Do you want to go in more detail? This had songs in it? <laughs> Wait, this was a musical? Yeah. Where's my dad? I'm all alone. I'm too small to be here on my own. I swam away Complain about the New York um, recording that they did, the like official recording. I didn't listen to it, so Please you were do. allowed to complain. Okay, so basically, it's just um, Robert Lopez, Kristen Anderson Lopez, and Avenue Car Stephanie DeBrozo, um, who you probably know from the Scrubs um, musical episode. And Kristen Anderson Lopez has a very specific like way that she sings. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to the demos for Frozen. Uh, I, 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 have, I have, but I don't remember the way she sings. She sings with a little bit of a lisp, which is kind of adorable, especially when she's doing like young Anna and all that. She also has a very nasally sound that feels childlike. So when she's like doing Dory and Nemo and they sound almost identical. Of yeah. course. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Um, that's my one complaint. And the fact that um, Robert Lopez sounds like a teenager, and that's not Marlon. Marlon is an old man. Yeah, he's Albert Brooks. He's, he's an old ass. Old man. Can I say, the, the one lyric in this show 
that like irrationally pissed me off. Like like it's not just this is a dumb joke. It's that this kind of destroyed the foundations of the universe that the movie worked so hard to build. We're about to it, go th- full it, Brent. Everyone prepare yourself. Yes. Okay, it's the lyric in uh, in the opening song, In the Big Blue World, where Marlon sings. And I wrote down these lyrics just to make sure I wouldn't forget them so I could he recite them word for word. just said he didn't write word. anything down. <laughs> I, I never said anything at all. <laughs> I don't this say anything even, either. This isn't even a podcast. This is a dream <laughs> you had once. But, okay, the lyric is, I know you're excited, but let's take a little pause. Sharks are not our friends, Nemo. Haven't you seen Jaws? Yeah. yeah. Haven't you? Haven't you, a clownfish living in an anemone in the middle of the ocean, seen the 1975 cinema classic directed by Steven Spielberg, Jaws? Haven't you? Don't you have Netflix over in the? It's just ugh. Haven't you I at mean, least I mean, seen Jaws the musical? Just I mean, to play on. Devil's Halibut. <laughs> I mean, I mean um, the, the 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 movie occasionally <laughs> would kind of lean on the fourth wall, but it never straight up broke it like that. It's like it. it this is not Aladdin. It's Finding Nemo. It's just ugh. It didn't. It it just felt like such an unFinding Nemo joke, but. But Tony, yeah. have you considered maybe he's referring to actual shark jaws? Haven't you seen jaws on a shark? That's true. You know, jaws are very large on sharks. Well, well, but no, he no Nemo wouldn't have because Marlin's kept him sheltered all these years. He he wouldn't have seen actual jaws on a shark. Well, so that's a silly thing to ask. Tony, is it so more ideal that he, it's he talking about the seventies film? Wait, no, what? not the 70s film. He should have asked if he saw Shark Tale with Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> that was yes, a piece you're of right. shit. Um, I, I, I will say, though, they missed out on a tremendous opportunity in this musical to turn... I, again, I guess they just didn't have time to do this. If this was a full Broadway musical, I guarantee they would have done this. They should have turned Mr. Ray's Let's Name the Zone song into like a full-blown Tom Lehrer-esque, you know, Yakko Warner type thing where they actually name like everything in the ocean uh, in rhyme. Just a big old Randy Rogel type thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been, been really fun. fun. That would have been amazing. Like, a, like an homage to The Elements by Tom Lehrer, that sort of thing. Ah, well, can't do everything, I suppose. All right, Jess. In the Big Blue World, what is your favorite part of this song? Um, honestly, I think it's probably right at the end when it's like mixing together with the kids and they're like Mr. Ray and we're ready to go. And they're like, in the Big Blue World, we're ready to go. And I'm like, ah, OK, this is all built to something. I like that the, the tricycle comes out. The tricycle <laughs> is very cool. That is a badass tricycle. I'll give it that much. And I'm I'm glad it comes out a second time as well. I would have been a little upset <laughs> if it was only one time. What's my my personal favorite song? I think is I think it was the ending song, the Big Blue World reprise. I think that 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 kind of really tied it all together pretty tightly. 
What, Tony, like I know you mentioned it, but do you want to elaborate on yours? Yeah, um, go with the flow. I, I just love that whole mid-60s Beach Boys, good vibrations aesthetic. I mean, and and they and they really captured it well. I, I, I will give credit where it's due. Like, that was, like, they, it, it, it was really, like, it's a catchy melody. It sounds like a, a song the Beach Boys would have recorded in the 60s. And, and in fact, you know, the, it, it's even authentic to the Beach Boys, the fact that the lyrics are a little shaky because, the Beach Boys were never good lyricists. Like, if you listen to Good Vibrations, there's all these elaborate harmonies and things, and then the lyrics are, I like the colorful clothes she wears. So, you know, it fits. <laughs> and Jess? Um, honestly, I think my favorite song is probably in the Big Blue World, because I think it's a really effective opening number, and it really gets everyone's goals across. So, we're a sandwich. We got literally the middle song and both the end songs and everything yep. in the middle fucking throw it out <laughs> where's my dad um i do like how they musicalized just Sorry. keep swimming and pay it off i really do like the way that they pay that off with the reprise at the end too despite like not loving that song don't be a high strong fellow lay back and keep it mellow whoa 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 go with the flow <laughs> There you go. That's it. Uh, all right, Andrew. What is your cheese rating and overall thoughts on Finding Nemo the Musical? <sighs> um, my cheese rating is a uh, it's a grilled cheese that has not been cooked long enough, uh, and maybe got a little wet. <laughs> but I think, as far as a show at a theme park goes. This is a pretty good good musical, I would say. I mean, there's... As <laughs> anyone who's seen our previous episode of these, there's some pretty bad ones. So, I, I mean, I'd rather sit through this than any of the Smythe and, and Wesson stuff. <laughs> or even, like, Muppet Wizard of Oz. I know that's, like, scraping from the bottom of the barrel, but... Like, oh, so, I feel like, like, if we're comparing this to, like, Muppet Wizard of Oz? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just worlds ahead of that so i don't want to compare anything to that though that's oof, that's, that's unfair like, to anything that's that is unfair mm -hmm. so how about you tony what's your cheese rating and overall thoughts you know, I, I, I'm tempted to go with some sort of to try to think of some sort of cheese that fits into the ocean, but it it occurs to me that cheese and fish don't really go well together, and I don't Not know why all. that is. No, it, it, it's like cheese works on almost everything except, like, fish and Chinese food. Like, those are the only two things that I... Maybe so, that's um, a good cheese rating for it, just fish with cheese, and then, like, yeah. that's the flavor. Fish <laughs> fish with cheese, and you, you're trying... You, you, you just coat... You just you just dump a bucket of nacho cheese onto a fine grilled salmon, and 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 then you have to eat it, and that's the cheese rating. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. I mean, just just dropping the snark for a moment. I appreciate that they try something different. I appreciate that rather than just take one of their tried and true musicals and just play all the songs from that. I appreciate that they actually hired the Lopez's to write new songs for it and and actually tried to to, you know, open a theme park show that actually 
um, that they actually create something relatively new for. I just don't think the execution worked at all. I appreciate the um, I, I appreciate the effort. It's just execution didn't quite work for me. And you have to feel for the Lopez's, you know, I mean, they had to write these songs without, without, you know, usually when you're involved in the songwriting process of a musical, the songwriters, at least as far as Disney musicals are concerned and Broadway, you kind of get to have your say in shaping the story as well. Like the story is kind of built around the songs and the songs are built around the story and they kind of intermingle like that. The Lopez's had a pre-set story that they kind of had to shoehorn their songs into. And, you know, like I said, I love all their work. I love Frozen. I love Book of Mormon. I love Avenue Q. This was not their best work. I I didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> no worries, because I'm, I'm about to get really positive. Uh, my cheese rating <laughs> is Shepardista Crush, because there is a character called Crush in this music. Jess, you are the ah. absolute worst ever <laughs> um i enjoyed this a lot more than i expected because i really expected to just hate on this because you know i'm a i'm a snarky douchebag that enjoys like to beat up on some easy targets sometimes but i was like shocked i'm like oh there's some effort put into this the singers are doing their best it like all sounds really nice um the visuals are like on par if not slightly below the spongebob musical which i know sounds like a backhanded compliment but it really is a sincere one um i think that yeah all your complaints are valid but it's not like i wasted like three hours of my life on something terrible it's like i wasted 45 minutes with something with a lot of elements i really appreciated in it you know what they should have done they should have gotten lin-manuel miranda to write a finding nemo musical and then they could have called it clamilton ah (laughs) that was Ah, 10 points to gryffindor all right, send us the sheet of paper you wrote these jokes down on, okay? That was that I came up with off the top. Of, you, 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 you say that as though I haven't crumbled it up and thrown it in the trash already. <laughs> um, all right, that was great. Tony, thank you for coming back on. I had a lot of fun. Like, thank I'm you sure, once again for having me. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of things you want to promote out there, so promote it out for the world. I do indeed. Uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tony Goldmark. You can watch all three seasons of Some Jerk with a Camera there. I will produce a fourth season of that eventually, but for now, I'm doing a lot of one movie later vlogs. I just released one for Endgame, and uh, occasionally I do videos called State of the Parks, which are kind of a theme park news and rumors editorial series. I just, a few months ago, did an episode on the recent changes to Pirates of the Caribbean, which was really interesting. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at Tony Goldmark. So there you go. Fantastic. All right. Now we get to shill our stuff. All right. Once more, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese. Thank you for listening. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, at musicals with cheese. Our Twitter is at cheesy musicals. Our Patreon is musicals with cheese. We're going to be doing a new commentary every month only for patrons next month we got something big 
it's very good and we got another one coming up in June so don't think that we're just gonna leave it at that our Instagram is musicals with cheese our YouTube page is newly rebranded as musicals with cheese and right now there is currently a video up there for you guys to watch so you've got you know integration all over the place synergy <laughs> it's great shoot us an email at musical theater lives at gmail.com our title card was created by the amazing Jolene Casco send her some love on our Instagram at Jolene Casco Andrew thank you for all the work you put into this show <laughs> I, I didn't do anything man I just watched this Finding Nemo thing and I came on here <laughs> yep. Tony thank you again for joining us it's always My a joy to pleasure. have you back on you're thank welcome you. anytime you want ah, thank as you. long as we're not talking about Smythe and, and I don't remember the other guy's name as long Smythe, as and Jones. Smythe and Jones Smythe and Jones as long this as we're not musical. talking about them this musical needed more Smythe and Jones. <laughs> mm, I, I mean, I'd have to disagree. Every musical needs more Smythe and Jones. I'm, I'm Those two are the I'm, backbone of the entire theatrical industry. You crazy I'm going to disagree people. pretty strongly with this one. <laughs> well, I got to break up this fight, but while I do that, have a good night, and it's we'll see you next time. It's the backside of water, damn it! <laughs> We'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. Woo! Oh, yes. Fish your friends, not food. He basically sang our theme song. It's pretty close. Yeah, that was close enough. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.